Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Story time. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I spent two weeks backpacking in New Mexico a few years back. And I just have to say that it's pretty amazing how easy it is to disconnect when you're out there. Anyhow, we were in a group of five three tents, with a campsite up on the rim of a canyon, which had the benefit of a fantastic view but put us over a mile away from the closest water source. I had really argued in favor of this site so I was happy to volunteer to go get water, and recruited my best friend to help me bring back a second water container. 
Man am I glad he came with me. It was around dusk when we left, and honestly we had a good time just chatting about how great the trip had been, this was our last night out. We'd already had our fair share of adventures, running into a couple of bears and getting hit by an enormous storm. While we were above the tree line being the highlights, so we just got lost in reflecting on the trip and laughing about it all. It was definitely getting close to sundown by the time we had gotten the water though, so we set off back to camp at a pretty quick pace. Which kept the chatter to a minimum. On the walk back I thought I had heard a few sticks crack off in the woods, but I really didn't think that much of it. We'd heard weird noises before and the cracks weren't loud enough to come from bears. Anyways, we ended up getting back to camp fine, eating dinner, cleaning up, and heading off to bed without incident. At this point I'll mention that that although the stargazing in New Mexico is supposed to be really exceptional, I was never really blown away by the amount of stars we saw owing to a super bright moon almost every night keeping the sky fairly light at night. Anyways, everyone was in their tents when I heard what was still to this day the most blood-curdling, high-pitched scream coming from a very close distance. It was very akin to a woman or child in severe pain, but with something still very distinctly otherworldly to it. Now I'd heard about the sounds that mountain lions make, but damn it's just one of those things that you don't understand until you've heard it. That's when I got scared, but the worst bit about it was that the noise had come from the side of my tent that was facing the canyon rim, and I was camped probably within 10 feet of the rim. So this meant that the cougar was either less than 10 feet away from me, or that it was doing some kind of ninja cat type moves up the on the canyon wall. I'm not sure which was scarier in my mind. Anyways, like I said we've got 5 dudes in 3 tents and the guy who's alone gets scared and doesn't want to be alone. So the other 4 guys all popped out of our tents, walked in a huddle over to his and then strategically dropped off two guys before the final three scurried back into one tent. Leaving a single tent empty, hopefully as a decoy. However, when we were out there we didn't see the mountain lion. Which meant that we had a ninja cat on our hands made all the scarier by the fact that mountain lions can weigh well over 100 pounds. And keep the demeanor of your average pissed off house cat. Anyways, I'm no longer falling asleep anytime soon and have my hiking poles in hand for protection, when I swear that I heard the faintest little swishing sound on the outside of my tent. That death machine ninja cat was taunting me, just like my cat back home. Screw you Carol Ann, you're a jerk on account of being related to this thing. By ever so lightly swishing its tail against the door to my rain fly. Admittedly to this day I'm not positive that that's what was for sure going on. But the sound was real and it was scary and that's definitely what I thought was happening at the time. This next part has no such mystery to it. As previously stated, we had a really bright moon that night, and it had illuminated the walls of my tent. And the death cat took full advantage of this fact. As the cougar padded silently through our campsite, its shadow projected onto my tent and my eyes followed that shadow as it crept straight through the middle of our campsite while I forgot to breathe for a few minutes. Eventually its shadow disappeared from the side of my tent, and I fell asleep about an hour later once my heart rate returned to fairly normal. When we woke up the next morning, no one had died so we were actually pretty stoked about the whole experience. 
We saw a few faint tracks in the middle of the campsite, but otherwise there was no real evidence of it ever actually happening. We did report it to a ranger when we left the next day, and he told us that the cougar had probably stalked me and my best friend back from the water source, got confused when we disappeared into the tent. Apparently enclosed structures blow their minds. And the roar had been in frustration after it had lost its prey. He also mentioned that I probably would have been attacked had I gone to get water alone. So it was good that I brought a buddy. So moral of the story is always roll with your brothers, cause you never known when a 200 pound cougar is gonna follow you for miles to try and eat you. The officer involved in this story goes by the name of Officer Michael Frankton, currently stationed at the 14th Precinct. So, one night about two months ago, he was sent to investigate a call of an animal trying to break into a house on the west side of town. The caller reported that they were not sure what it was and that it looked like some sort of large skeletal animal. When he got there and searched around the perimeter, he found no tracks or trace or evidence that would suggest any person or animal had actually come close to entering or tearing into the property. After entering into the home, which seemed completely normal, everything was closed up and locked as if nobody was there. He even searched all around inside just to make sure nothing had gotten in. He exited the house and walked around to check the perimeter again before his radio started going off notifying him that the officers had arrived on the east side of the property where he would be able to help them with an animal control call. When he approached them, he told them that there was this large creature that looked like it might have been injured, hence the skeleton exposure, and that this animal had possibly escaped and was injured and now darting all over the property. They brought Officer F back around to where the animal was initially sighted. Right up ahead of them was what they could best describe as something straight out of hell itself. It seemed almost like a hulking mass of rotting flesh and bone and had this terrible odor of rotting meat and death. In the officer's words himself, he said that this thing looked like a real-life horror movie prop from an undead movie but was actually moving around. It had long arms and massive claws at the end of each finger. It was staring into their eyes with an abnormally large mouth split open as if it was not trying to bear any of its teeth at all. The officers all fled the scene while this being began running alongside the cruiser, trying to keep up with them. Any other information about this night was blotted out and classified. Little is known about what happened to Michael F. or his current whereabouts or if he is even serving still as a police officer. If you would like your own police encounter stories to be featured on this post, please use the submission form available. We look forward to hearing more stories. It was on a hot summer night that I was out in the dark woods with my neighbor, whom I'm pretty close with. He was like extended family, honestly. The fact that I didn't even know we were going until that night when I was sitting at home in front of my laptop, playing video games. My neighbor came over to see me, and he asked me if I wanted to go camping with him and his family. It had been a while since we last did anything together, so of course, I said yes. It would have just given us an excuse not to go to school for a couple of days. This was in September, so school had just started back up, and the coldness of fall had not yet come, so it was perfect. The next day, 
His family and I gathered our camping gear. We're driving down a dark road with tall trees on the other side of it. It was getting dark quickly, so we had to turn the lights on, and unfortunately, which means we would have had to set up in the dark. So we're driving for about an hour or two but it felt like it took forever. My friend's dad turned left at an unmarked intersection where there wasn't even a sign saying that this was the right turn off the road. The road got bumpy and rocky as he drove over this very raw, unpaved road. That's when we came across a large clearing because all I could see around was trees and darkness. Where we stopped at this makeshift campground, I say that because there was no clear indicated spot to set up a tent, a spigot, a bathroom, or anything. This was truly camping just down the middle of nowhere, perfect. Now I need to say that it was pitch blackout, and it had gotten really cold now that the sun had set. We were also higher up in elevation, so we got everything set up quickly and decided we would huddle up in the tent together that my friend's father had set up for us but I just had this feeling lingering within me that we weren't alone. Now my brain was playing tricks on me, so I decided to step out and get some fresh air. It was eerily quiet until I heard this screaming noise. My heart began pounding fast as if it knew what was coming. Then we heard a wrestling noise in the bushes, more screaming from the woods. I was so scared that my friend told me to come back into the tent. Now, not only could we all hear the noises, but then as I got back in the tent and we shined our light, we could see something moving outside the tent, this shape. My friend's dad got a flashlight, shining it too at this object. That's when this thing began screaming and thrashing. Now we're all yelling, freaking out because we can see the shape of this thing more. It looked like an animal, but all we could see was this large shape, and it was terrifying looking from the silhouette. It looked like an upright deformed reindeer or something, and it had long claws. It was where we being pranked? I wasn't even sure. It screamed again in our direction, and we just prayed for it to leave. It walked near our tent, and we all kept our flashlights shining at it through the tent material, only revealing its silhouette. But one thing I noticed is it never came closer to the tent. It's like it was pissed that we set up camp here in its area. I get it. This probably sounds like some sort of amateur creepypasta, but tell it to my family, my friend's family, and me who have to deal with the memory of this thing. We stopped hearing it almost literally after we all pretty much urinated all over our sleeping bags out of terror. Surprisingly, none of us had any weapons on us, somehow we all forgot. We got lucky that night, but who knows what would have happened if it were to come back and possibly check out our tent. Now. Of course, my friend's dad regrets that he didn't bring any weapons. He forgot, he normally always carries a pistol. I went home the next day, and we didn't get any sleep that night. What was designed to be a civil day trip turned into a quick overnight terror. I've not been able to go camping since. I don't think I ever will, you know? And I'm also not sure what this thing was or where it came out of. I haven't really sat down to train research either. I don't really care, I just want to get rid of this memory. This incident occurred in 2004. I was working as a park ranger at Cuyahoga Valley National Park in North Central Ohio. I knew nothing about Ohio since I had grown up on the West Coast. 
I had actually volunteered for the 9 p.m. to 5 a.m. shift when it was available. I was a night owl at the time. One night around 3 a.m. I got this alert from one of the campsites saying that they couldn't find their friend. That part of that particular campground was out on a small peninsula. There were some coves and curved roads that made it easy to get turned around walking at night. It actually happened a lot. I got there and the friends seemed a little more scared than usual. They said that they had been searching for an hour already and there was no sign of their friend. They all seemed to be about 18 to 20 years old and smelled of alcohol. I didn't call law enforcement right away because often a drunk person would fall asleep on someone else's chair or picnic table, so we were usually able to find them soon enough. The missing friend had been sleeping in a tent by himself while the rest were still sitting around the fire. Apparently, he was too tired to stay awake anymore and had gone into his tent to lie down. They said around 2 am they heard him rustling around in his tent. They went over to help him out and to see what was going on. He had walked into the nearby trees to relieve himself but then he didn't come back out the trees. There shouldn't have been much of an area to get lost in. We all kept calling his cell phone. It rang but there was no answer. I was concerned about drowning too, so I followed his footsteps in the mud which I was assuming were his. The footprints then stopped abruptly well before the water, still in the trees. I looked around and it didn't seem like he could have jumped anywhere and most of the trees around there were too big to be climbed. The footsteps just ended. They didn't backtrack or anything a little weird. We all kept searching until about 4 am and then called it off. I told them let's just wait until morning. It was most likely that he had fallen asleep out of sight somewhere so they all went back to their tents to try to get some sleep. I was way too wired to go home so I actually kept at it. I was used to staying up all night anyway and I just wanted to go sit down by the water and stay alert in case I noticed anything. On my way over there, I saw two things dangling down from a tree up ahead, and when I got close enough to see more clearly I just freaked out. I started backing away. They were feet but they were not human feet. I just let out this gasp and then all of a sudden this thing swooped out of the tree like a bat out of hell. All I could think was that it was some kind of a vulture or something. It was gigantic with probably a 10 foot wingspan and it had flown down to the water's edge with these huge leathery wings. It was at least as tall as me and I'm 6 foot in height. It then turned around and it looked at me with these red glowing eyes. All of this happened in a matter of seconds. I realized it wasn't any kind of a bird for sure and it didn't look like it had a beak. It didn't even look like it had a face. I just saw darkness in these red glowing eyes at that point. I became really concerned about the missing friend. I lost it and I just started yelling at the creature. It turned around and it ran along the shore until I couldn't see it anymore. I was sure we were about to find a dead body but then I heard this rustling in the bushes and this half-naked person comes crawling out. It was the missing friend. When he was able to make sense he said that he had gone to the lake to wash himself and the freaky winged thing had scared him half to death. He'd been under the bushes hiding and had passed out by then. I felt like I wasn't even in my right mind anymore. I took the guy back to the campsite, and I eventually got back to my office and checked out. I couldn't take it anymore. I had no clue how to even begin making sense of it all after that. 
I decided to switch to the day shift and it ended up being a lot better for me. I eventually left the job at the park in 2008, moved back west, and now work for the state of California. My friend Matt lived on the corner of South Carpenter in Sleepy Hollow, New York. His house was surrounded by woods and had well water. His neighbors owned cows, horses and many acres of land. Matt's sister was a medium and was able to communicate with spirits. She was kind of gothic and had a strange group of friends. During one birthday party, a group of goths came back terrified. They said they had seen a witch in the woods. At first, they saw an old lady from a distance and it seemed like she was lost and looking for something. They approached her eager to help. They stepped closer and went to reach for her shoulder when she began laughing. She turned around and petrified the group. Most of the people thought the group was lying but Matt knew his sister could tell the kids were serious too. They were actually scared and the forest they were in was a labyrinth of spooky trees. It was easy to get turned around. Later that year, this is what happened. Matt, Bill, and I were hiking during the winter months. There wasn't snow on the ground but the air sure was cold. We were bundled up and didn't plan on going far. But of course, we followed the trail and it led us to a place we could never imagine. I was following Matt, but he wasn't the best with directions. We were in a thick forest that we had never explored before. We continued trekking, searching desperately for familiar territory. It was getting dark. Finally, we heard cars. We made it to the road and saw it with Sleepy Hollow. I thought it was funny and antagonized Bill and Matt about the headless horsemen, but they were a little younger than me and started to cry. They were scared. It should have been straightforward to make it back to the house using the roads. But sadly we did not make the best decisions. Matt was oblivious to the surrounding streets and directions and was clueless about how to get us back. I remember the route my dad used very vaguely and attempted to lead us back. There were no sidewalks so we walked on the ditch alongside the forest. After a while, Bill ran ahead of me. He said something was back there, something was following us. I didn't believe him and I stopped walking. I looked back and saw that he wasn't lying, there was some kind of black upright dog just walking behind us. We started to jog and so did the canine. Matt and Bill were faster than me. I told them to run ahead and that I would get this thing away from us. By that point, I had a general idea of where I was. I beelined it to the forest and caught the trail. I couldn't see much but the trees paved the way for me. I had no visual of the dog anymore but I knew it was on my trail. After what felt like forever, I could hear the commotion from Matt's family's party. The flames from the bonfire peeked through the trees and I felt relieved. I moved towards the tree line and suddenly went barreling into the ground. My foot caught a root and I was badly scraped up. With my hands and knees bleeding I rolled over in slow motion and my life flashed before my eyes. I heard something crashing down the path about 30 yards from me. I hopped to my feet and went straight through the briars and branches leaping to the illuminating grass. I made it to the fire and the creature luckily left the darkness. Matt and Bill were already sitting on their mom's lap telling the story. My parents were happy to see I was still alive but not surprised at all. The adults saw my wounds and gasped. 
I told them the werewolf got me. Years later my friend Alex moved nearby. He had two encounters with a wolfman. Once, he and his two sisters saw a large lichen creature cross the road and scale a deep hill within seconds. His other encounter was with me we saw a pair of eyes out of his patio window in the woods. It was the scariest night of my life and I never slept over there again. We tried to sleep in the basement but had to go upstairs because we were terrified. The moon hung low in the night sky as I stood outside the apartment building, my heart pounding with a mix of excitement and nervous anticipation. Today was the day I would join the ranks of the police force as a rookie officer. My name is Alex, and I had always dreamed of making a difference, of upholding justice in a world that seemed too often plagued by darkness. My partner for this first assignment was Detective Ryan, a seasoned veteran with a reputation for his sharp instincts and unwavering resolve. Together, we were tasked with investigating a homicide case, a daunting task for a rookie like me, but I was eager to prove myself. As we approached the apartment, a sense of unease settled in the pit of my stomach. The door was locked, a barrier between us and the truth hidden within. With a swift kick, Detective Ryan forced the door open, revealing a chilling scene that would forever be etched in my memory. There, before us, lay the lifeless body of the victim. It was a gruesome sight, a chilling reminder of the evil that lurked in the shadows. But what shocked us both was not just the presence of death, but the grotesque creature feasting on the remains. It was a dog-like creature, but larger, more akin to a wolf. Its hulking figure loomed over the body, its snarling face contorted with an unsettling mix of animalistic hunger and a twisted, human-like visage. The sight sent shivers down my spine, and I felt an instinctive urge to protect and serve, to rid the world of this abomination. Reacting on pure instinct, Detective Ryan and I drew our weapons and fired at the creature, hoping to neutralize the threat it posed. But the bullet seemed to have little effect. It let out a chilling growl, launching itself at us with a speed and strength that defied logic. Caught off guard, we were tackled to the ground, our bodies hitting the floor with a resounding thud. The creature slipped away from our grasp, a blur of fur and teeth, disappearing into the night before we could regain our footing. The chaos and confusion that ensued left us breathless, questioning the reality of what we had just witnessed. We exchanged bewildered glances, our faces etched with disbelief and uncertainty. Did we really see what we think we saw, or was it some hallucination brought on by exhaustion or something we inadvertently ingested? The questions lingered in the air, a heavy fog obscuring the truth. With a deep breath, Detective Ryan and I collected ourselves, determined to make sense of the inexplicable. We scoured the surroundings, searching for any trace of the creature, but it was as if it had vanished into thin air. Frustration mingled with disbelief, our minds struggling to comprehend the events that had unfolded. As we stood there, gazing into each other's eyes, a silent understanding passed between us. We may never fully understand what we witnessed that night, but we knew that our duty remained, to protect the innocent, to uphold justice, and to face the darkness head-on, even when it defied explanation. In the end, we may never have a definitive answer to the question that haunted us. 
Did we truly encounter a monstrous being, or was it an illusion, a trick of the mind? I was recently working near a river in the British Columbia wilderness when about 20 meters from me and my co-worker we heard loud footsteps crashing through the trees. My co-worker yelled out. Nothing, the footsteps continued, but after he yelled out a second time the footsteps stopped and then things went completely silent. There was other people in the vicinity throughout the week, but to our knowledge, nobody there that day. I grew up hunting and I am very familiar with the fauna of Western Canada. It sounded like a bull or cow moose or elk. Perhaps a sizable buck. But to my knowledge they don't have the smarts to actively hide from humans when they are yelled at. Same with bears. Mountain lions, however, do. But I don't believe one would ever be so loud and clumsy sounding. WTF was in the woods? I'm not above thinking it was perhaps a Bigfoot. Or was it a sinister person? In 2014, I was living with my then girlfriend, now wife, and our son in a forest house close to the center of Bolton in northwest England. The house is what we call a two-up two-down here because they have two rooms upstairs and two rooms downstairs. The stairs ran down the kitchen side of the wall that divided the two downstairs rooms. My girlfriend was working on a course to become a veterinary nurse. For this, she had to work the 2 p.m. to 11 p.m. shifts. So there was just me and my son in the house. I had put him to bed a few hours before and was now downstairs washing the pot and pans. I heard footsteps on the landing and assumed it was my son. Thinking he had woken up and was now running around upstairs looking for us, as he was apt to do. I dried my hands and prepared to go through the routine of putting him back to bed. But I noticed these were not the erratic footsteps of a child but the heavy deliberate footsteps of an adult. The footsteps began to descend the stairs. I turned to see not my son but a tall woman dressed in a long white gown. As her head came into view I could see she was well over six feet tall and had long blonde hair. The stairs curved to the left as they approached the ground. As this woman rounded the corner I saw her face. She looked odd. Her features were human but something was off about them. Like she was something imitating a human. As she took the last step towards the floor she vanished. I stood still in shock for a few moments but then plucked up the courage to go upstairs and check on my son. Thankfully, he was still fast asleep. About half an hour later my girlfriend got home. I was still slightly shaken up but happy to see another real human. She wasn't all that surprised which was a bit unnerving. She had lived there for a few years before I met her and most people who visited experienced something in that house. Mostly knocks and bangs at all hours and ghost cats. The bangs could have been the neighbors to be fair. Having to tell people the cat they just saw run through the house isn't your cat is always a fun conversation. Thankfully, the full body apparitions weren't all that common. Me and a buddy went camping on my parents' property back in high school say six years ago. The spot is pretty secluded and the only company we had for miles were cows and coyotes. We fished all day and had just settled in around a nice little campfire when I heard a helicopter. 
We were somewhat near a pipeline so it wasn't that unusual for planes and choppers to check it, but I'd never seen them do so at night. The helicopter continued to get closer until we were able to see it silhouetted against the stars. We didn't think anything was amiss at first until I noticed the black sphere literally suspended about 4 feet in front of it. The sphere was roughly the same size as the chopper and traveling at the same speed. This was without alcohol, drugs, etc. No idea what it was to this day. I went camping out near Dotsero, Colorado. It's a more desert-like area, and the state park, IIRC, was up on a tall plateau, it was about a half-hour drive up. Free camping, no utilities or amenities or anything, just find a spot and enjoy. There were forests and whatnot up top, but not much else beyond that and all the dust. We stayed there three days, and what creeped me out off the bat was the fact that there were no bird sounds, or really any small critters. No chirping, no tiny bodies flitting about, nothing. Pure silence outside of the many flies. There were in fact birds there, because the next morning we found a dead one behind our tent among the trees. It wasn't there before, it was fresh. We go out for the day, come across a large herd of sheep grazing on a trail, but still no birds. The next morning after that, the bird was torn to shreds. Feathers here, bits there, all around the trees to the back of us and around our campsite. So this detail is a bit important for the next part, we had brought our dogs with us. Mine's a straight dingus and has no use except for being a cuddle bug, but my fiancé's corgi is amazingly perceptive. Sharp vision and sharp hearing, but also super friendly. She wasn't friendly the night before we left. We had a fire going and it was completely silent like the nights before. Not even cricket chirps or anything. Just a crackling fire. And Susie growling at something in the dark. She wouldn't turn her head and look elsewhere, she kept looking to the trees behind the tent yet again just growling and with a ridge of fur standing on her back. We'd shine our lights back there, it was a thin line of trees, nothing thick, and wouldn't see anything. She continued to growl until we doused the fire and everybody piled into the tent. The next morning, some animal had pissed in their water dish. It was very yellow-green and rank, and I couldn't leave that place fast enough. It was probably just a raccoon or something small like that, but still. I live near Greensboro, North Carolina. The date that the incidents began was 2022. Two weeks after moving to this address I witnessed trees in the park behind my home moving as though there was a huge heavy being moving from one tree to the other. But I could not see any visible being, though I know that this movement was not caused by the wind. Since then, I have seen a variety of strange unreal things that I would never have imagined ever seeing in real life except on sci-fi films. I have tried to take photographs of these anomalies but nothing is ever captured. I've used a digital camera and an old Polaroid but to no avail. There is something outside in my trees and it is not squirrels. I can feel them watching me and have seen their neon green eyes staring back at me from inside of the thick tree cover where they try to hide and blend in with the leaves on the top of the trees. Something is definitely wrong here and it really has me frightened. 
I know something has come into my home and assaulted me with scratches on my back and left a blood-red scab at the base of my skull. It was as though it was punctured with a sharp object such as a needle. I'm convinced that the government and other officials in this community know about the activity. I collected some hair evidence that I know is not human. The hair is too thin and wispy, and the color is greenish in hue. I don't know what to do. Someone suggested I reach out to you so I won't lose my sanity. I never, in my wildest dreams, would have ever imagined these things to actually be real. It's difficult for me to accept the reality of it. Please contact me so I won't feel so alone in this madness. Thank you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Where my mom's house is, there is a river that runs behind it with nothing but forests surrounding it. Some truly creepy shit has happened to us and some friends more than once down there at the river. First story, me, my boyfriend and a couple of friends were camping out on the river's sandbar. I had my dog with me, her name is Anna. We were having a bonfire and setting up the tents. Before everyone showed up. Then Tim, my boyfriend, Robert, his friend, went into the woods to look for more firewood so I could watch the fire and keep it going until they came back. This left me and Anna by the fire by ourselves. Anna is very protective and I felt safe with her, after they went into the woods, I immediately felt someone, or something staring at me from across the river. This river was not very wide, but there was very thick forest on the other side that abruptly stopped right at the river's edge, Anna senses it too, and got up from where she was laying it by the fire, walked down to the river enough that all four of her paws were in the water, all the hairs on her back standing straight up and she's staring and pointing with one paw up at the ray's edge across the river. I follow her and stand directly behind her, and also stare across the river. I suddenly hear whatever it is move. So does Anna. And it's not just regular human footsteps I'm hearing. 
It's moving trees. It sounded as if it was moving trees and branches out of the way to walk. Anna is following it, moving where it moves, but staying on our side of the river and she's deeply growling. It's like time was frozen. I couldn't move, I couldn't speak. I couldn't see it because the fire was way up on the riverbank and Anna and I were on the river's ledge with our feet in the water. Both of us are just staring into the woods across the river. Anna finally stopped moving and now is closer and her legs are in the water now, and she's steadily growling. I'm behind her with my feet up to mid-shin in the water. I finally snap out of it and run back up by the fire and call for Tim and Robert. Anna stayed where she was. Still growling. They hear me and come back with firewood. Tim says what's wrong? I said you didn't hear that? Robert said hear what? I said. There's something across the river and it doesn't sound human, Anna won't stop growling at it. So the two guys walk to the river's edge, and Robert grabs the pellet gun he brought with him. Tim walks up to Anna, and says. What is it girl, what do you see? And she's not breaking her stare just constantly growling. All of a sudden, Robert and Tim hear it shift, as do I and Anna shifts with it to the left. Well when it shifts, Robert aims the pellet gun where he heard the shift and fires a pellet into the woods. No sooner than we heard the pellet hit something, we all heard a low, guttural, deep growl for like a second. Once Anna heard the growl, she backed up and got close to Tim and whines a little bit. Then nothing. It's as if it just disappeared. I said screw that, and walked my ass back up to my mom's house. And we cancelled the camping for the night. Second story, we are halfway down the trail that leads to this river. With Robert, and a few other friends. My mom's didn't like a lot of people over at her house, we are just hanging out talking and bullshitting around and all of the sudden, out of nowhere, it sounded as if a horse neighed. But more like a laugh. And everyone in our small group heard it. So we noped out of there and go back to my mom's, and are in my mom's yard. And we all hear it again, clear as day, a horse neighing laugh. At the very beginning of the trail. The beginning of the trail is adjacent to my mom's yard, it gave us all chills and we couldn't logically explain it. No one in the neighborhood owns horses, nor has there ever been any in that neighborhood. Third story, again we, Tim and our friends, were in the trail of the river, this time we were walking down to the river. It was midsummer and a lot of people were down there. We were looking forward to swimming and having a fun time. We get halfway down the trail, and we all see a solid black wolf sitting in the middle of the trail near the end of it, facing us. I remember it clearly. It has yellow eyes, and grey around its snout, like it was older. This was at 12pm 12.30pm on a bright, sunny day and people were in the water, you could hear them laughing and splashing. We all stop in our tracks and stare at it. About five people just staring in silence at this black wolf scared to move or make any noise. It stares at us back. And I shit you not, it grinned at us. Not a typical dog grin where they pant and have their mouth open. No, this was more like a sinister, mischievous grin with sharp teeth and bright yellow eyes. It made my stomach turn. We were about 50 feet from it, and after about 5 minutes it stopped grinning, and it simply, got up on its hind legs, and walked away as if it was a human. We all just looked at each other, 
asking if we all saw it, and everyone saw the exact same thing. I believe we came across a skinwalker that day. I didn't tell my friends that's what it was, but I knew that's what it was. We said screw swimming that day and left. That was the last time we ever went to that river again. My cousin did a lot of forest surveying in some pretty remote areas in British Columbia, Canada. He and a colleague were driving down an old logging road when a wit van passed them going the opposite direction. He said it was odd to see someone way out there but not unheard of as hunters to use these roads. They went a few more miles down the road got out and started doing some work and ended up finding a dead body with no head or hands. Freshly dumped as it wasn't decayed. They had to go back the same direction as the van, luckily they never crossed paths. They reported it to the RCMP and was told it was most likely biker gang related hit. I live a lot of my life in seclusion, though I spend a lot of time in the city as well. I tend to take the creepiest things with me to my home and I've amassed a great collection of skulls and bones and various other items of morbidity. A few things I've experienced that might be of interest, deep in the woods, I find a hole dug about three feet down. Around it, someone had constructed a rudimentary teepee out of shipping pallets, reinforced with greased rope and branches. A tarp was tangled over it, blown up by the wind. I peered in and found it recently lived in, freshly stirred dirt at the bottom. I lit the floor of the place with a flashlight and found a collection of undergarments belonging to young girls, all bright colors and cartoon characters, buried beneath a scree of dirt, rocks, and leaves. A duffel bag of loot was tucked in the back, mostly vitamin packets and detritus. Empty liquor bottles. A man's bottoming out point, miles from civilization. The other place was near the grain silos, repurposed by the Salvation Army as an apartment complex for vagrants and mental patients. There was an old oil company, long abandoned and hollowed out, just over a set of train tracks and through a thicket of shrubgrass. It was midnight, or later, and I was alone. Being closer to civilization, I did not want to attract attention, I made my way in the dark, starlight and moonlight offered me a little guidance, though I was mostly beneath an overpass. I heard a rustling in the distance. I was too far in city for this to be a deer, and it sounded bigger than a turkey, which can be found basically anywhere. I had my knife out, and I stepped closer to the origin of the sounds. I heard a groaning, a muttering, gurgling sound. A growling. It was growing louder, and I was starting to make out syllables. Not speech, per se, not words, but differentiated syllables. Just as the growling reached its zenith, I looked up and saw a man on a bike, pedaling down the sidewalk on the overpass above me. He had headphones on and he was listening to death metal and growling along with the vocals. I was overcome with relief, but also awash with dread, because now I know why people don't talk to me when I'm on campus, because I do that exact same thing. I've also found some really strange signs out in the middle of nowhere. From memory, I can say that my two favorites are Uncle Bart will F-U-U-P-P. And, outside an old slaughterhouse, in block printed scrawl. Cattle operation trailer closed. Please do not dump. <laughs>
you will be seen. I'm sure I can think of more, if anyone is interested. I'm a weird dude. Tanzania, Dawn. We're on a platform that we built in a tree overlooking a carcass of a hippo, waiting when the king of jungle would come for its morning feast and our perfect shot. Suddenly our PH, our guide, or professional hunter, silently points backwards, pale, with a drop of sweat coming down his head while looking straight ahead. I look back and see a pair of eyes about 5 meters from me sitting on a branch, the red sky gently reflecting in its pupils. A leopard. Now leopards don't look intimidating comparatively to a lion or tiger per se, but what makes them so intense is the fact that they always finish. What? They start. If they pick a target to pounce, the target is done for. What a leopard does is it jumps and hugs you with its claws, gently bites you in the neck and then starts going apeshit with its feet right at your abdomen. We're about 1000 miles from the closest hospital. I am also the youngest, the natural target. Fortunately the story ends in a rather boring fashion, the leopard looked at us for a little bit and just said F these guys and left. I used to hunt as a kid with my uncle and grandpa. The first time I killed a deer, I was alone covering my side of the mountain while they ran the deer towards me. I shot a buck right in the side, but he was just a button buck, only nubs for horns. I thought it was a doe so that's why I shot it. I was so excited. Right up until I walked up to the deer and it was gasping for air. I shot it in the lung, it was horrible. I felt awful, I cried. I didn't know what I had just done. When my uncle found me like 45 minutes later me sitting next to the deer I just killed, he was so excited. But he could tell I wasn't. We dragged it out of the woods, butchered it up that night and made burgers. I couldn't finish mine, just didn't feel right. Never went hunting again, I was 15 or 16 at the time so I was old enough to understand what was going on. Anytime anyone talks about hunting I think back to that morning. I have no problem with people hunting, by all means. But I could never go again. I, 26 female, recently moved from the US to the Balkans for a summer legal internship. After a few days of getting settled in my home for the summer, I decided to sign up for a gym nearby my apartment to serve as a self-care ritual and blow off steam after tough work days. Coming home from my first workout at the new gym, endorphins on 100, I noticed at a crosswalk that a man across from this busy street where I was stopped was staring at me. Now this is not super uncommon as I have found in my new home, and I have gotten used to dealing with occasional male stares, but they are usually very brief. This guy, however, was not looking away. I stared back for a full beat, so I know he knows I saw him hoping that would be the end of it, and then turned my head away to continue down the street trying to avoid a creepy feeling that this wasn't the end of the interaction. From what I could tell, he didn't cross the lengthy street to meet me, and probably just continued down from his side. Next thing I know, about two minutes later, I'm at a crosswalk, about to cross, when I see him in my peripheral next to me at the stop. 
How he crossed the street and sped up to meet me so quickly is either a reflection of his cunning and athletic prowess or my general lack of observational skills. Standing next to me now, he is still staring at me, but I try not to tip him off to my noticing this. I take off as fast as I can when it's safe to cross the crosswalk, and naturally, he matches my pace, a step or so behind me, still staring. Here I find myself in a familiar situation that I imagine many who have been followed also find themselves in. It is a critical juncture if you will, where you ask, is this someone following me or a silly misunderstanding? I begin to ask myself, am I overreacting? I have been followed many a time before, sadly, and so I have found that the best way to handle it is try to cut the baby in half so to speak. I give them the benefit of the doubt to prove to me they aren't doing what I fear they are doing, while also trying to avoid any situation that would escalate the danger or cue him off to where I am going. Trust but verify. So I decide to zip quickly toward another street, not my own, we were like one block from my apartment by the time I noticed him at the crosswalk with me, in the hopes that he would prove me wrong and not continue to follow me. This was a busy intersection and there were about six different streets to follow from the crosswalk. He follows me down this random street of choice, where there is truly only residential buildings, no stores or restaurants he could be headed toward to explain him choosing this street unless he lived nearby. I do something I have done before, when followed, to test the other person. I slow down and speed up my pace randomly to see if they match mine or like a normal person heading somewhere, try to walk by me as there was plenty of room to do so on the street. Within a block or so I realized he was definitely following, definitely still staring, but not only that, with every few steps, I felt his presence, keeping pace, was also subtly getting closer and closer to me. The sun is setting at this point, and we are walking towards a part of town I don't know as well. The spirit moves, and I decide to make a break for it. I slow down as slow as I have gone throughout this whole pursuit, checking my peripheral, and jettison myself across the street until I get to the other side. I look back once I am there to see that he is now looking across the street and moving toward it to follow me more, but this time, I give him the meanest glare I can muster, and reach for my bag as if to suggest that I reaching for pepper spray or something, hadn't bought some yet in reality because I had just moved to town a few days before. He notices the gestures, makes eye contact, stops, and then literally turns his head away to feign looking at the numbers on the street like he was lost or looking for a specific spot, as if he hasn't been slowing up and speeding down with me for the past 10 minutes, not looking anywhere but at my backside. Acting 010 for capturing the innocence of someone definitely not creepily following a woman half his age back from the gym for 20 plus minutes. He continues to pretend to look around, glance back at me, look around some more, glance back at me, and when he looks away for the third time, I decide now is the time to truly make a break for it. I begin booking it down the opposite street, while occasionally peering back to see if he kept following. I take a bunch of well-lit, busy streets, employing random unnecessary turns, as I have when I have been followed before. Eventually. Once I check out the whole street and feel confident I have lost him, I finally calculate my way back home. The next day, I asked a friend from work who is local to take me to get some pepper spray. 
I bought a mini version, the smallest size, that can easily fit a purse. The Pepper Sprays brand's name for a bottle of this size is literally called Madam, which is emblazoned across the side of the bottle in bright pink lettering. New Year's Eve 1991 my wife and I were walking into Boulder Cave at about 8 or 9 p.m. There was very little snow on the trail, just a skiff. It was a clear, brilliant night, no moon but crisp stars and the occasional cloud. It was dark, but we had flashlights and warm clothes and we walking in to meet some friends and spend the night at the cave to celebrate New Year's Eve. If you were wondering, we were bother sober, Having met a few years earlier in AA back then the USFS wasn't worried about bats and you could hike into the cave at any time of the year. Now it closes in the fall to preserve some near mythical bats that may or may not live in the cave. No one has ever seen these bats except for scientists, and they are probably just pulling our legs. As we made our way up the trail, well made, not very steep, winding through the darkened pines, we could hear children's voices in the distance, like a schoolyard, or a playground, or a yard full of happy children running and yelling and laughing far far away. At first, we tried to think of what it could be, maybe someone in a cabin, or people staying at Camp Rogananda, but on our way in we'd seen no cars or tracks or sign of anyone else in the area. Rogananda was closed down tight, and no camps, lights, or fires off in the distance or by the road. What was a large group of children doing playing loudly in the distance, up a canyon, in the middle of the woods, on New Year's Eve? It couldn't be sledders, because there was barely any snow, and it was way too late for a group of little kids to be frolicking unsupervised in the woods. It was weird and didn't make any sense, but we kept hearing it. There was an odd, consistent quality to the laughing children noise, it faded in and out of hearing, just on the edge of being there, carried by the wind as if from a great distance, funneled and shaped by the mountains and trees and streams until it found our ears, then back out again, to be lost for a moment, only to return. Laughing, yelling, calling, shouting, playing children. Fading in and out as we would stop and listen till it went away then walk a few dozen more yards only to stop and listen again. We said do you hear that? Do you hear that? And would wonder to each other what it could be? On and on as we walked up the trail, the children haunted us, laughing and screaming and yelling just beyond reason and hearing, like sound waves coming through the flames of a campfire, ghost voices traveling on the crisp night air. Anyway, we got to the cave and told our friends about it and puzzled together, but forgot about it after a while and played our flutes and listened to new age music on a boombox with cassette tapes, and burned candles and talked philosophy and mystery and deep meaning around the fire until the wee hours of the morning. It was a wonderful time. Walking out, something had changed, subtly. The wood seemed a bit ominous. Maybe we were just tired. But, as we made our way down the trail, my wife spotted something odd propped against the base of a tree. It was meant to be found, I think, by us. I believe. We thought, at the time, that it had been left for us by whoever or whatever made the laughing noises. As older and more cynical as I am now, I can still believe that is, or could be, true, 
though it certainly wasn't the work of children the object, it is impossible to adequately describe the object. My mind stubbornly refuses to remember it as a whole. I remember the details of its construction and its size and general shape. My wife says it was a man, a figurine of a human. I have to believe her because when I try to picture it my mind draws a blank. Its construction was like nothing I've ever seen before or since. It was a small abstract figurine, woven of tiny sticks, moss, pine needle and lichen. The bear's hair moss had been braided in individual strands into tiny ropes, which wove in and out of bits of lichen and tiny tiny sticks around some bigger sticks smaller than the diameter of a pencil. The main framework of small sticks was lashed together with what looked like the inner bark of cedar, woven into braids and tiny ropes. The workmanship was so intricate and subtle and bizarre that as we picked it up and looked at it, we are at first amazed, then just a little bit shook. It was unworldly yet complex and woven and weaved from woodland materials seeming gathered at random with great skill, assembled with patience and practice by tiny nimble hands, for what purpose we had no idea. The damn thing was weird. It was easy to dismiss the laughing children as a natural phenomenon, the wind, our imaginations, or just some strange, inexplicable happenings that had a perfectly logical explanation. The figurine was real, and it wasn't on the trail side on the way up. And, no one else had been to the cave while we were there, no cars, footprints, no marks in the snow, nothing. I put it in my pack, took it home and kept it for a while, broodingly examining it closely for clues about I don't know what. The thing was creepy and full of bad magic, and after a while I threw it away. Fast forward this incident got filed away in my memory and I gradually forgot about it, mostly. A few years later in the mid-1990s I got a job working for a local tribe. This job involved lots of downtime and my native co-worker and I would talk about life and stories and such. One day, I casually recounted this series of events and when I got to the part about the laughing children his head snapped around and he became alert and acutely interested. He quizzed me about every detail, and I recounted the story as I've told it here. He was a reticent guy, but he told me point-blank that we'd run into stick Indians and explained briefly what stick Indians are. Warning, do not bring up the subject of stick Indians with a native. It is a forbidden subject. Trust me. Natives don't like to talk about stick Indians. It's impolite to bring them up in conversation. Please don't. Briefly. The true nature and physical attributes of stick Indians are unknown. No one to my knowledge has ever encountered a stick Indian and survived to talk about it. So the myth is recounted to me and what little I can find to read about them is that stick Indians are small, vicious and cunning, semi-man-like but about three to four feet tall and very skinny, with elongated arms and legs and sharp teeth, and claws on their hands and feet. They live in deep forests, and are occasionally heard but never seen. The laughing that we heard is how they lure victims out into the forest, where they become disoriented and lost as they attempt to locate the children playing in the woods. If the victim is an adult, the presumption is that they are attacked and eaten, and whatever remains after the stick Indians fed are never found. The person becomes permanently lost. If the victim is a small child, the stick Indians turn them into another stick Indian through some dark stick Indian magic. 
This is how they get new recruits. There is much more to the legend and much more to say that others have told me since, but it is getting late and some things are best left unsaid. For a long time, I didn't feel like I should carry tales, or hazard the risk of upsetting natives by speaking these things aloud. So, until now, I've kept these events mostly to myself. I respect the forest, mysteries, the natural world and indigenous peoples and honor their beliefs. The story of stick Indians would be just another interesting tale for me if I hadn't experienced them myself, maybe. As such, I was privileged with the information I describe here, and believe I relayed as honestly and accurately as I am able. Maybe it wasn't real, and maybe you don't believe me, or maybe there is an explanation for it all that makes sense, but know this, as a practical matter, warn your children. Tell them not to follow the sound of children playing when they are in the woods. Tell them as they follow the sound of children in the distance they might get lost and never come back. Like other legends and myths and tales, there is a kernel of truth at the center, and some truths are bigger than others. For me I don't know what to think about what happened to us, I only know that it did. Each time I sleep, I leave my phone on the bed in front of me on the other side as the bed is very large and there's all that empty space, I can see the phone at all times and it's just a routine to leave it there every time. I laid down and closed my eyes and was about to sleep, when suddenly I hear this weird and rough vibrating noise from my pillow right under my head. I immediately opened my eyes terrified but didn't want to move because I was trying to process what's going on. I was staring at my phone the entire time this was happening as I was trying to understand where this is coming from, and it was not coming from my phone. After it stopped, I looked under the pillow to try to understand how this happened but there was nothing there. Not only the fact my phone was too far away to be the cause of this noise, my phone vibrates and breaks not one long vibration, and it does not vibrate for so long, it's also never that loud. The pillow was slightly moving along with the noise as if something was directly under it. I've only had sleep paralysis once and this was not it, I have not fallen asleep yet at the time, I moved soon after the noise and movement stopped and did not feel like I couldn't move in the first place. Does anyone have the slightest idea what the hell happened? This is one thing that's going to keep bugging me as I cannot explain it at all. Me and my buddies decided to embark on a thrilling adventure by going camping in the mountains for two weeks. We were eager to escape the bustling city life and immerse ourselves in the tranquility of nature. Little did we know that this trip would take an unexpected turn, forever etched in our memories. As we set up our campsite, the crisp mountain air filled our lungs, and the breathtaking scenery enveloped us. Each day was filled with hiking, fishing, and sharing stories around the crackling fireplace under the starlit sky. Our bond grew stronger, and laughter echoed through the woods. However, one fateful morning, our carefree spirits were shattered by a gruesome discovery. I awoke to an eerie silence, only to be met with the sight of a dead cow lying motionless next to our once warm and inviting fireplace. Shock and confusion gripped us as we approached the scene. The cow's lifeless body was marred by deep, claw-like marks that covered its entire corpse. It was a horrifying sight, 
the aftermath of a brutal encounter. We were filled with a mixture of fear, disbelief, and a profound sense of unease. How had this happened? And more unsettlingly, how had we slept through it? The realization sunk in that we were not alone in these mountains. Something sinister lurked in the shadows, silently observing our every move. We couldn't shake the feeling that we were being watched, and the safety of our campsite had been compromised. Our idyllic retreat had transformed into a chilling mystery, one we couldn't ignore. Fear tightened its grip on us, overshadowing the once adventurous spirit that brought us here. The joyful camaraderie we had cherished now gave way to a sense of vulnerability. We knew deep down that it was time to abandon our expedition, to retreat from the unknown dangers lurking in the wilderness. Reluctantly, we packed our belongings, leaving behind the serenity we had sought. The mountains that had initially welcomed us with open arms now held a menacing aura. The memories we had created would forever be shadowed by the enigma surrounding that dead cow. As we trekked back to civilization, our conversations grew somber. We exchanged speculative theories about the mysterious predator that had invaded our campsite, questioning the true nature of the wilderness we had dared to explore. It was a journey that had changed us, awakening a primal fear of the unknown and reminding us of our vulnerability in the face of nature's unyielding forces. Years have passed since that ill-fated camping trip, yet the memory of the dead cow remains vivid in my mind. It serves as a poignant reminder that sometimes, even in the pursuit of adventure, it is necessary to acknowledge the signs and heed the warnings. The mountains may still call to me, but I approach them now with a newfound reverence, forever mindful of the secrets they hold. Third shift in a children's residential facility which is a 100-year-old orphanage. Now it's for abused kids with behavioral emotional problems. A lot of them have nightmares regularly and so in the dead of night. I'll be startled out of my rounds because someone will scream or something. Some of the kids talk in their sleep and sleepwalk and it's creepy as if there's the kid who will wake up and open his door and just stare at you for about a minute before quietly closing his door and going back to sleep. One time he opened his door and zombied his way over to my co-worker and I dead-eyed and slack-jawed, and we were like dude, what and he finally goes. I want biscuits, shit. And we were like get the f out and go to bed. Not that great of a story. Walking around the grounds at night with my head full of other staff stories about parents showing up to try and steal their kids back. Never happened to me, but did happen to another staff before, and I'm a paranoid person. We have a ton of ghost stories about this place though because the facility was built in the 1800s to handle the influx of orphans produced by a cholera epidemic in the area. The building is old as hell and full of hidden tunnels and passageways that staff can use to get around fast, but like hell I go in any of them. Staff who have been here longer have ghost stories about seeing shadows, hearing things, etc. I have none, but one time I was taking a kid to the basement to do laundry and he stops and goes. Mrs. X, there was a man standing in that room, but he's gone now. And I was like, well, it was probably a ghost, little dude. Let's get this laundry done. Honestly though the creepiest shit around here usually happens during the day with the little dudes are awake. Love em though.